welcome to Agency Highway. This is a podcast for digital agencies and freelancers who want to grow their business, earn more, and work less. Each episode, you'll hear from agency owners that are killing it, meet epic people that can help you along your journey, or just listen to me ramble on about something I think is cool. Head to agencyhighway.com for transcripts, action notes, and to join the community. I'm your host, James Rose. Now, let's get into it. This podcast is brought to you by ContentSnare. ContentSnare helps digital agencies get content from their clients on time in the right format without email. If you've ever needed to get content from clients, you'll know how painful it can be. You end up constantly chasing them for weeks and months, and by the time it's ready, there's a 900 long email trail full of massive images and a couple of brochures from six years ago. ContentSnare makes this a thing of the past by collecting content from your clients in the right format the first time and does all the chasing for you. Try it on your next project by signing up at contentsnare.com. Hey, and welcome back to another episode of Agency Highway. Today is a long overdue interview with a friend of mine who I've been hanging out with at co-working spaces for years, uh, Jason Andrew, who is a, well, I want to say bookkeeper slash accountants, but you're like so many frigging things now. You're an author. Uh, yeah. And we're going to be talking about profit, profit metrics and how to know when to hire an employee, whole bunch of stuff. But before then, Jason, uh, give people a little bit of intro about you. Hey, James. Um, so yeah, my name's Jason. I'm a child accountant by background. I've you know, cut my teeth at global accounting businesses or accounting firms in the past. Um, three years ago, I set my own practice called SBO. So what we do is we do uh, bookkeeping is a, a component of what we do, but we also do a thing called what we call operational finance, where we partner with a lot of um, high growth businesses to help them manage the numbers, basically. So going over their profit metrics, going over their cash flow, helping them make decisions using their financial data um, to inform good decision making. Basically, And you guys have been our, uh, doing our bookkeeping for years now, which is awesome. Almost since the beginning, basically, since we started. Yeah. And like, it's one of these things, like, I always see so much like reluctance to spend money on stuff. Um, and I think that's one of those things that I'm just like, so glad we did. Cause not like the only time I go into zero now is to send an invoice, generate an invoice. Like, that's literally the only thing I do. And then occasionally I answer a couple of questions if there's like uh, things you didn't know about. And it's usually like three of three questions, like every few months. And it's so easy. I don't have to do anything. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we try to make it really hands off for people uh, to, yeah, just go ahead and just run the business and do awesome podcasts like this. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. That's, that's it. Do the stuff I actually like doing. Exactly. All right. So. Uh, yeah, we, we just actually recently had an episode where we talked about profit metrics, um, but I think it had a pretty big Amer- like a USA swing to it um, mm-hmm. using metrics that um, like Aussie companies don't really use. But um, I know, I guess probably the, the more practical stuff is using metrics to know when to hire, but is there anything you want to dig into first about like what metrics we should be looking at? Yeah, I think that um, it'd be, I think... A big, big, uh, from my experience, a lot of founders don't really un- struggle to understand the difference between profit and cash. So that's a huge part of um, understanding the numbers. So, you know, everyone I'm sure has an accounting system, uh, whether it's a spreadsheet or a zero or a QuickBooks or something, and everyone just looks at the profit and loss, right? So profit and loss, it's like, oh, cool, I made, I made X amount of profit this month. Awesome. Um, I'm going to give myself a pay rise. <laughs> um, and what they don't realize is that, oh, wait, there's profit, but I'm actually owed 
a bunch of cash from my customers who haven't paid me for three or four months. And so what's happening is I'm drawing cash from my business, which I don't actually have. Um, and so that's, that's a, a classic uh, mistake and just um, where accounting also is, is uh, not... Not also true because you know the profit and loss everyone thinks is, is the source of truth, right? But it's actually it's profit and loss is actually really misleading to look at. You should be looking really? at the cash flow statement. Yeah. Right. And is that because the profit's generated when you raise an invoice and you don't necessarily have that money yet? Like why? Yep, for the service for agencies, that's the classic example. Um, another really really important example is like your own salary, for example. So um, now, everyone, I'm sure, listening has a tax accountant, right? So they work with, they've got a CPA that does their annual tax lodgements. And depending on what your company structure is, you might be trading out of a company, you might be a trust or might be your might be a personal ABN. Um, they, your tax accountant might actually give you advice as to how much you should pay yourself, declare as a salary, right? Mm. Because there are tax advantages of saying, hey, James, we're going to pay you an $80,000 salary on PAYG. And yeah, you can pay yourself more, but we're going to treat it as like a trust distribution or we're going to pay it as a dividend instead. Yeah. So what they say is, hey, we'll put you on payroll for 80 grand a year, but every month you can also take a bit more, but we're not going to expense that on the profit and loss. We're just going to put that to a thing called a loan account on your balance sheet. Right, so, yeah. So automatically, because you're not expensing that extra cash that you're taking from the business, You've got an inflated sense of profit, right? Because you're thinking, well, well, my expense for my salary is only eighty thousand. That's cool, but you're actually taking an extra, say, two thousand dollars a month out of the company, which is not reflected on your profit and loss, but it is for cash flow. So this is this is like the small nuances which really um, can misguide or give yourself false sense of security, almost when we're looking at numbers. Yeah. Right. And this this kind of makes me laugh because I know I've I've been in this situation so many times where I'm looking at the PL and we've been making profit month over month and then I'm looking at the bank and I'm like, oh, like where's our money? Like did someone steal it? <laughs> like I've actually thought that before. It's um, I, so I can totally relate. I guess that's where I'm going with that. And it's so I guess how how do we look at it? Like what? Is it the cash flow statement? Is that the, is that the source of truth? Is there more than one source of truth? Yeah, it's, it's really funny. So everyone asks us, well, it says my profit loss. Hey, let's say I made it. It says my profit loss is 100. I made $100,000 profit last year. It's like, well, where the hell is the cash? Right? Is the next question. I don't have 100 yeah. grand to see my bank account. Where the hell is it going? <laughs> yeah. And the assumption is, hey, the bookkeeper stuffed something up, right? You're not doing your job properly or something's not reconciled. I'm like, no, 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 no. Okay, if you actually look at the balance sheet, which is the report that confuses the hell out of most people and even include myself because it's not always, um, not always reflective of the truth, but the balance sheet is actually where your cash is, right? So generally for agencies, the cash will be in two main accounts. The first one will be in trade accounts receivable or trade debtors is the other term. That's money owed from customers. That's right. the part. The second part where the money is going is a thing called a director's loan account. So what that <laughs> account is, is where all of your, generally it's the money that you've ripped out of the company, uh, which is in addition to the salary that you're already drawing. Uh, or it's, you know, I might buy a, I might pay a mortgage repayment via my company this month for my personal home. Or, hey, I decided to buy a Range Rover, which I put on lease. Uh, don't worry, the company will pay for that, no problem. Um, so your accountant slash bookkeeper will say, well, obviously the Range Rover isn't for business use. So we're going to put that to your, to your loan account. And so that's where your cash is in your balance sheet account. So as a really good report to look at um, for 
for agency owners and business owners generally is generate a cash flow statement. Yeah. So what you can do is in most accounting systems, you can generate what we call a cash profit and loss. So um, most, most profit and loss statements you look at are, are on accruals basis. Now, what I mean by accruals is it'll reflect when you raise a sales invoice, you'll, that's recorded as income technically for accounting, even though you haven't collected the cash. If you generate a report on a cash basis, it actually shows the uh, it shows your position on a cash received and cash paid basis. So that's that's often that is the source of truth because it's not skewed by any um, nuances of um, balance sheet adjustments and, all, and and the like. So cash flow statement is the source of truth, and you can't. The thing is, you can fudge accounting. So and I've heard about Enron and all these big corporate companies that deceive shareholders and investors by fudging the accounts by creative accounting. Right. You can fake you can fake profit, but you can't fake cash. And that's why cash flow is always a source of truth. Okay. Um, so. I don't know, just given that we're talking about cash and a cure all, um, I will request that you please stand up into shot on video. <laughs> if you are listening to this on a podcast, uh, Jason is wearing a shirt that says it's a cure-all world. A cruel. <laughs> a cruel. I don't, yeah, you say it. I don't, <laughs> man, I hate that word because I can't say it. But man, <laughs> you guys have so many pun shirts that I love it. It's like the best accounting slash bookkeeping <laughs> swag I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely killing it. <laughs> we also have uh, be audit you can be. Um, be audit you can be. Yeah, love yeah. it. And there's there's actually there, and there's a super accountancy jokes that I don't non accountants would understand. So there's one called we're producing another batch. But there's like DTA, DTL, DTF. <laughs> and, like DTA and DTL are very, very like yeah, accountancy in jokes. Like most people would understand what they mean, but uh, yeah, anyway. So wow, that is producing <laughs> awesome. And I remember there's a hoodie too that's just like this enormous paragraph of text about I can't remember what it was, but well, I it's just funny because it's so long. Yeah, well, it's, it's it was a ripoff on um, is it Wu Tang the cream the cream song cash rules everything around me anyway. Uh, right, I put in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Go check out the show notes and uh, <laughs> and have a look at uh, some of their swag. It's amazing. I wish I was that creative. <laughs> anyway, let's um, dig into the other thing we're going to talk about, which is like hiring employees, how we know we should be hiring someone, whether that's our first employee or our next employee. Uh, maybe maybe they're different, different metrics. Let, let's talk about that. Yeah, so the current narrative of when to hire a next employee, it's just a super subjective conversation. Um, there's a, not a lot of data and even advice around if you should hire more people, right? And I think fundamentally it comes down to what type of business do you want to run? Are you, do you want to be just a solopreneur, freelancer type of guy that just runs around, does kind of website builds and trees a very you know, casual lifestyle business? Or do you decide to become, become a small business or act like an entrepreneur where you're building an asset, you're building a brand, you're building a, you want to surround yourself with smart people to build a business per se, right? And so that's the first question I ask most people. And probably the listeners, listeners of this podcast want to be the entrepreneur, right? We all want to build an asset. We want to build an agency um, that's more than myself because, I don't, hey, I don't want to be doing websites for the rest of my life. I want to be, you know, be able to, yeah, have a website business but allow mm. me to go on holidays and, and whatnot, right? Yeah. So that's the first thing. So then the next question is, okay, if I start for myself and I'm working and I'm, I've got a, a bunch of retained clients and I'm getting paid well, the challenge then is like I'm getting flogged, right? I'm working stupid hours um, just to 
deliver on those client deadlines. And yes, I have content snare to help me, you know, streamline <laughs> the, the, automate or the chasing, but it's still like, I've got a lot of projects. I'm, I'm tearing my hair out. Right. So the co- decision then is like, crap, I need to hire someone. I need help. Like I need to lean on an employee so they can help me do this work so I can focus on other stuff, etc. And so generally that decision comes from just being busy, right? It's like, okay, I'm busy. I need to hire. And that's the automatic assumption, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what I find is there's not really a lot of data to inform if you should or when you should that that employee. So generally what we say is, is there actually a um, – the problem with hiring more people is obviously costs go up as well, right? So yeah. you have payroll and if they're full-time employees, that's a big fixed monthly cost that comes out of your bank account and irrespective of how much work you've got on, irrespective of its holidays, um, irrespective of – whatever if there's natural disaster that, that cleans up your office you still got to make the payroll um yeah that's, a, that's cash flow right it's a big expense and people are, are the biggest component of cost for every um, agency so it is people take hiring really lightly like oh i just need to hire more staff and it'll be better but <laughs> my view is like dude you should try to hire at least pe- people as possible or at least be smart about who you hire and do yeah. it slowly as opposed to just hiring because i guess too too many times you hear about companies that like scale their revenue and they just employ a huge bunch of people and they think from all, from all the, I guess, vanity metrics of success is that they, they're going really well, right? So you're growing revenue, getting, hiring lots of people, you must be profitable, right? The reality hmm. of that is that these companies are not profitable. <laughs> In fact, they're burning cash because they don't understand their hiring economics, right? So, um, the, so there is a ratio of what revenue you should have to cover the R to generate an ROI or return on investment in every employee that you have. So if you think about employees as an investment, um, there are costs that's going out the door. Say you pay someone five thousand bucks a month, right, um, for a salary, mm-hmm. they need to generate a profit too. Whatever work they do, you need to generate a profit on that person. So the magic ratio is that you should be generating a revenue of two or three times the cost of that employee. So what that infers is if I pay someone five thousand dollars a month. They need to be servicing ten to fifteen thousand dollars of monthly revenue to right. generate a profit on that person, and that's like direct billable hours, sort of thing. Or? Exactly right. Exactly. Yeah. So direct billable hours, and so what that implies is that I've got um, sales using the two times multiple. If I've got ten thousand dollars of revenue, they they cost five thousand bucks. I'm basically making a fifty percent gross profit margin on every employee that I have. Mm. Right now, what I've found empirically is most people don't think about hiring from an economics perspective, they think about hiring from a business perspective, right? A lot yeah. of subjective, a lot of emotional whims involved in that decision-making. Yeah. Not coming down to, okay, can I afford to hire someone? And if I do, what is the required revenue I need to, to cover the costs and generate a profit on that person? Yeah. yeah. Nice. So it's that simple. And but So in that case then, like what if you... Uh, like, I mean, does that mean you need to be generating this profit yourself, for example, if you haven't hired yet? Um, like, how do you know? And then when you have employees, do you, like, how do you make that decision? Are they, is it like you've got some projects coming up that is going to give you that $10,000 and you know it'll be done in a month? Like, Yeah, so this is the question of when to hire, right? So yeah. what you should try to aim for, there's actually two metrics. So what you should try to aim for is if I've got committed revenue, so ideally you'll have a, you'll know your pipeline of future sales, right? At least at least two months in advance. I know it's forecasting is almost impossible, but if you can say that how I've got, you know, three or four large chunky projects over the next couple of months 
there's going to be a recurring revenue component of those because I'll start to manage their um, SEM or, or whatever. Um, you, you'll you'll have a certain degree of certainty that yes, there will be at least X amount of dollars cash uh, of revenue coming mm. to the door, right? So if you've got that, I assume that you yourself should already be a profitable business. So if you factor your own time, your own, your own salary, you're paying yourself, you should have profit left over. If you if you're not if you're paying yourself a, you know, a, a, an average salary and not too much, but not too little at the same time. <laughs> and you draw and you have profit. Um, you need to basically understand: is that profit going to in, going to be reinvested back into the business to hire someone else to then yeah. that person? So it is very delicate in terms of how you time it. But the, the ratio is again: if I've got forecasted sales over the next couple of months, which is at least double the cost of a new hire. That's the first metric to look at. So, you know, the two or three times ratio. Hmm. Second metric is cash, right? Do I have the cash to actually hire them? Yeah. Um, and that's the hard part. So, what my recommendation is, is you should have at least two months of that employee's em- employee's wage as cash in the bank. So, if I'm going to employ someone for five minutes, it's going to cost five grand, I should have 10 grand in the bank account that I'm willing to um no, to deploy um, to cover. So them. I've seen a good idea with this. Well, at least I think it's a good idea. You might say not, but uh, the whole profit first thing where you have multiple accounts that you're putting money away for, for tax um, and, and like operational expenses and that sort of thing, you can create a, an account for future employees and literally just be putting aside a certain percentage of your revenue each month or whatever into this account, which slowly builds up to this, this, dollar value that you just have sitting there or, and potentially growing so that when you do hire, you've got that little buffer. Um, obviously, though, you don't want to just burn through that cash. You want to have the incoming jobs. And, and something you actually touched on there, Jason, was the recurring revenue. And this comes up all the time on this podcast. I mean, everyone's talking about it because for, for good reason and because it gives you some level of stability and knowledge of, of the money that's coming in. So it's, it's very, very important to have some level of recurring revenue in your business so that yeah, you've got, you just know what's coming and, and it gives you peace of mind when you're hiring too. 100%. A recurring revenue is king, as, as I'm sure we all know. Um, mm. The my view on recurring revenue is now I've got a recurring revenue business. Um, and so do you, James, and so sort of other agencies listening probably do as well. The how I see recurring revenue is that the recurring revenue should at least cover the fixed cost of your business. Yes, at the minimum. So you know it covers the payroll, it covers all your rent, etc. And then the project revenue sit on top is the cream, right? So um, if you look at the, the the valuation of the company, how a company is valued is future cash flows, right? So what is the stability and viability of this business and its ability to generate positive cash into the future. And they, they do some fun, funky finance math to discount that back to a value and that's the value of a business fundamentally. Um, and so the more recurring revenue, more contracted revenue you can build into your business, the higher intrinsic high value that you've got in your company, which means that you'll have better cash flow and, and everyone's happy basically. So, um, yeah. Awesome. So if you are listening to this and you want to come up with some ideas on how to create recurring revenue, jump over to agencyhighway.com and search for Troy Dean. Uh, He's been on a couple of times. One of them was about uh, building recurring revenue uh, in your, in your agency. So check that out. Jason, is there anything else you think we should dig into here? Um, I think that, uh, so we covered hiring, which is a big one covered cash flow, which is important. 
Um, and I think I think what I really want to maybe touch on is probably helping understand what type of business you want to be building. So I think a lot, you know, let's say let's say the guy Gary V, right? So obviously hmm. runs a big media agency, and he talks about you know scaling his empire, and he's got like hundreds of million dollars in revenue. He's got thousands of staff and headcount, and that's really nice. And he's obviously built a very big personal brand for himself. But to, in my view, all of those are vanity metrics, right? Like just because you've got heaps of revenue, um, just because you've got heaps of staff, just because you've potentially raised a bunch of money, doesn't mean you have a successful business. Right? Yeah. There are plenty um, of the plenty of businesses that have all three and have like yeah, Theranos, up. pretty good example. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> have you read that book? Oh my god, it's one of the best books. Oh I've my, ever read. I was I, I smashed in like a, in like less than a day because it was yeah. So and good. I will link yeah. both of these up in the show notes because Bad Blood is one of the best uh, books, uh, best nonfiction books I've ever read. It was the kind of thing where I wouldn't go to sleep because I wanted to read the next chapter, like <laughs> in suspense at just how ridiculous the whole situation is. Yeah. It's about a startup. It's totally off topic, but I I need to talk about this because it's freaking amazing. Uh, it's about a startup called Theranos out of the uh, out of the US that at one point was valued more than Uber um, and basically it was all a complete freaking fraud which mm-hmm. is just insane it's like if you've, if you've heard of the Fire Festival docker it puts that to absolute <laughs> shame you know um, and, and then there's also a new HBO documentary called The Inventor I believe which I just watched as well which put some visuals to everything I was reading which was cool um, so yeah, check both of those out. <laughs> anyway, point being, uh, staff revenue and, uh, raising money and valuations mean jackal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that the media lavishes praise on these companies, right? So if you, if you follow TechCrunch or any of the big media publications that all you hear about is people raising money, people hiring, people growing their revenue. And like, that's, that's all really nice. But, and I think it's easy for, the little first-time entrepreneurs and you know some experienced ones to get sucked into this vortex of like what it means to be successful, right? Yeah. And you know, you need to just understand what success looks like for you, right? And is it that hey, I've got a million-dollar business, yeah, I've got a handful of staff, but I only work, you know, Tim Ferriss four hours a week. Um, I can play the drums, um, you know, during the day, and no one really cares. <laughs> it, is, is that success look like for you? And for you, that is the ideal lifestyle for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and so I think what I want to say is just really understand what, what success looks like for yourself. Um, and is it, um, is it to scale and take over the world uh, or is it just to, to, to have a really good cash flow producing business that allows me to do the things that I truly, I'm truly passionate about. So, um, and, and, you know, knowing your numbers really helps a lot with that because it helps you, knowing your numbers will help you understand, um, you know, if I should hire people, uh, you know, do I have the cash to, um, to draw from my company and then give myself a yeah. whole every six months. So, so these are the using your company as a vehicle to to give the architect or engineer the outcomes you want as a as a founder. Nice, yeah, that's yeah. a that's a good quote right there. Um, yeah. But yeah, and I see people hiring for the sake of hiring all the time, just for growth, you know. Yeah. And, and people like like. I guess idolizing these companies that have a lot of employees and like you say, and then really these companies are making no money sometimes because they're just, they've got so much fixed costs like offices and big offices in, in um, prominent areas with lots of expensive employees and, you know, and, and in the end they're not actually making any money. Like it's it's crazy. So I assume that, uh, 
there are ways you can help people learn their numbers and like like your book for example is that is that a good place for people to start yeah so um it's yeah so the book's a great segue so i my my accounting firm uh we work with a lot of digital agencies but the we're kind of hamstrung because we are expensive i'm like you know like every other professional service business so um so we we the clients that we work with generally you need to be doing a million bucks of revenue to kind of get the value that we provide um you know excluding bookkeeping and so what the, the constant challenge i was getting was a lot of um, founders were coming to me and are like, I need to know this stuff, but like, I, how do I, would I learn it? And I would always refer them to business books if I could. So Profit First is is a, a book I, I, I used to <laughs> refer to people mm-hmm. um, because it, that pro- principles of Profit First are good, but there's some inherent flaws with it, which we can possibly discuss in a, in a separate episode. Yeah, if you sure. want to. I've written a blog about it, but, um, but like what I found was that there was no book I could give people to say, hey, um, this is, you should read this. This will cover the kind of 20% of, of numbers stuff, which will give you 80% of the leverage to know your numbers, basically, of your business. Yeah. And so, um, yes, yeah, so I wrote it. It's pitched as kind of the barefoot investor for entrepreneurs or, or maybe the four-hour work week for finance, but um, mm-hmm. targeted um, at founders who probably, yeah, just starting up, want to get on top of their numbers and learn some basics, which can help them set them up for future success. But, awesome. And where can people go to get that? So you can find the web. So Stark Naked Numbers is the title of the book. Um, that was the, just again slower. Uh, Stark sorry. Naked Numbers. No, it's all good. It's just on audio, and I know people speed it up as well. So that would have just come through as. <laughs> <laughs> I talk really quickly. If you can tell. <laughs> um, yeah, StarkNakedNumbers.com is my website. Uh, it's available via Amazon. So just search Stark Naked Numbers. Make sure you add numbers to Stark Naked because there are some. Uh, questionable content yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's brilliant like I, I don't did you uh predict that i imagine you like you would have i don't know <laughs> <laughs> no we we didn't um, <laughs> yeah it's just one of those things you're just like damn it i wish i thought of that earlier <laughs> uh, it's too late now um but of course when you're looking for that book you're looking for jason andrew as the author um and i know you're doing heaps of writing writing around numbers and business lately and you've been pumping out some awesome stuff so where is that on that blog as well or is that somewhere else um that's somewhere else so uh, we blog via my my company website so spo.financial is our i guess our agency or service-based business nice. um, we also have a medium account under the same name stark naked numbers which is probably um a different flavor of content but definitely geared towards more of the um sub-million dollar revenue um, entrepreneurs awesome and uh, and i'm also heavily active on linkedin so um if you're a Awesome LinkedIn. You can find me there, Jason Andrew. Uh, awesome. We will link all of this up in the show notes. I've just taken a whole bunch of notes that I've got to go and get the links for and put them in. So, uh, yeah, there'll be a whole bunch of stuff there for you to go and check out. Jason, uh, thanks so much for joining me, man. That was absolute pleasure. This was really fun. Yeah. And I mean, this is, it's a hard topic because numbers can uh, shut people's brains down. I know it sometimes it does for me and it's a hard topic to talk about, but it's so bloody important. Um, so I'm glad we've covered this. Awesome. Thanks, man. Uh, and if you've enjoyed this episode of Agency Highway, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review so more people can find out about it. Uh, otherwise, I'll see you in the next episode. Discover how to grow your agency, earn more, and work less at agencyhighway.com. Head over there to get resources from this episode and full transcripts. See you next time. This episode was brought to you by Content Snare. 
If you're a digital agency or just need to get content or info from your clients, Content Snare can help you collect it on time and without enormous email trails. Give it a try at contentsnare.com.